Uh, starting this week, we're in this series, Rooted, right? And as we said, the purpose of this series is to look at the elements of the life of a disciple maker and how uh, we must root our life in the life of Christ to see him produce fruits of disciples in our life. So last week we talked through um, a few things. Uh, that I'll recap very quickly. First, living an integrated life of up, in, and out. That to be a follower of Jesus, we must walk in these three relationships uh, with the Father, with the church, and for God's mission. That is what God has entered all of us into, and that we can't be a follower of Jesus if we're not living in these three relationships. We also talk through that we need to grow and the character of Jesus, this is being like Jesus. We need to become like Christ, but also the competency of Jesus, which means the ability to do what he did. That Jesus didn't just train people to be like him, but he trained them to do what he did once he left. And that if we um, say we have really, really high competency, think about a, a great like mega pastor, a great teacher, great leader, but has absolutely no character. That person has a chance for unlimited harm. What that means is, and you've seen this, some of you are here at our church because of this. You've been a part of a situation where someone has led you spiritually who has no deep roots in Christ. And what happens is, because there's no character but high competency, a lot of people follow that person into really troublesome waters, correct? And they leave or something happens, their character comes to the surface, their life is blown up, and the people who have followed them normally lose their faith. They're at least very battered and bruised. Now, you can't have very, very high character, but have no idea how to do what Jesus did. At that point, you have a chance for limited kingdom impact. Listen. This is not a bad place to be in at all. This is a person who, because they're like Christ, normally their nuclear family is impacted by what God is doing in their life. And that's a good and a right thing. But here's our hope. Christ said to go and make disciples, not go and be disciples. So as we walk in the character of being like Christ and do what he did, we go out and make disciples in our workplace, our neighborhood, extended family, friends, into our network of people. And at that point, we have opportunities for unlimited kingdom impact. And this right here is really the foundation of the next few weeks and months of this series of living an integrated life and growing in character and the competency of Christ. And we're going to focus on five competencies as we do that. The first is the competency of pursuing God. The second is the competency of communicating the gospel. The third is the competency of living in community. The fourth is joining in God's mission. And the fifth is making disciples. So for the next few months, those five things you will hear over and over and over again. And today, we start with the competency of pursuing God. We pursue God by seeing and hearing what God is up to in the world and responding with obedience. But here, before we talk about pursuing God, we must kind of walk through a very important kind of theological foundation for this. And here's what it is. We pursue God 
because he first pursued us. Let me, let me say it again. We can pursue God because he first pursued us. This is the essence of the gospel message. This is the essence of the Bible. Think about all the characters in the Bible. Think about, it starts with, um, even with Noah. God pursued Noah for God's work. God pursued Abraham. God pursued Moses. God pursued David. You go to the New Testament, God pursued Paul to do his work. Over and over and over again, the work of God. Us pursuing God starts first with God pursuing us. Hear this. It wasn't your great intellect, your great morality, your great discipline that allows you to be here and pursues God. Look at Ephesians 2. You probably all know this passage, but let's, let's, let's read it today. Verse 4 says here, but God. Doesn't say but you. That says but God. He's the active agent here. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. It doesn't say when we were struggling in our trespasses or when we were, had a, a moment of difficulty. In our tre- we were dead in our trespasses. So a question for us, what can a dead person do? Can a dead person pursue anything? Can he chase anything? No, a dead person is dead. They do nothing. <laughs> we all know this. If we were dead in our trespasses, here it comes. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And we hear that word through faith. Okay, well, I had faith, but look at verse 9. Or keep going to verse 8. And this is not your own doing. (laughs) It is the gift of God. He pursued you first so that we could pursue him. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. We're the thing he took to his workshop, right? And he carved us and he molded us. And he's still doing that today. You're not carving and molding yourself. Christ is molding you. He is pursuing you. Here here comes, creating in Christ Jesus for good works. He pursued you so that you could pursue him, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 1 John 4, 19 says this. It's very simple. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. It's out of the grace of God pursuing us, God pursuing you, that, that we joyfully, with, with like happiness. Does that make sense? I think many times we don't pursue Christ because we don't count the cost of how much God did to pursue us, right? It's that parable of the forgiven much, you love much, correct? You have been pursued with a great cost. And that should lead us to joyfully and thankfully pursue Christ, correct? This truth should lead to a different kind of pursuit, a different posture in our pursuit. See, being a disciple maker, that's why we're here, hopefully, right? To be rooted in Christ 
for the purpose of making disciples, being a disciple maker, it starts, all the stuff I wrote down, it starts with us pursuing God. A.W. Tozer, there's a lot of quotes from him today. Uh, it's, it's great. He says this right here. Complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. Complacency is a deadly foe. And, and many times, could you define our, our spiritual life, our churches, as complacent? Couldn't we do that? I want us to hear this today. Complacency is a deadly foe. And if you're a place today where you are complacent, that is a deadly place to be. It's not okay. It's not comical. It is a deadly place. It doesn't mean your entire spiritual life is right here. It does mean we're aware that we're complacent. We press in. So if today you're complacent, don't be shamed, but be convicted and run to the Father. The problem for us, I think, is there's just not this true pursuit of God. We're just so weak in our pursuit of God. Listen, we pursue money really well. We pursue security really well. We pursue the way, the way people look at us really well. We don't pursue God really well. Look at the psalmist in Psalm 42. And you've heard the, the, the famous song, right? But it's a great picture of this. 42 verse 1. As a deer pants for flowing streams. And this song's all pretty, you know, uh, as a deer. I'm not going to sing, I promise you that. Um, but it's a very pretty song. But if you imagine, as a deer pants for flowing streams, it's literally their life. <laughs> their life is on the line to get this water. So pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirst for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Our issue, as Tozer puts it, is one of apathy. It's one of apathy and weak pursuit. Part of the issue is we, we're not like the deer, or even as Christ describes himself as the bread of life. Like we don't see God as this great and mighty and wonderful thing to pursue. Matthew 13, uh, 44, it's the parable of the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found, a man found this treasure, and he covered it up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys this field. Do you not see this kind of thread throughout Scripture of just this kind of throwing everything else off and this just overwhelming pursuit and desire for God and His ways? Don't you see that in Scripture? We see that all throughout Scripture. But I think, uh, how do I say this? Part of our pursuing issue, of course it's a worship and a love. We don't worship and love God as He truly is. But the part of the issue is that we're just not needy enough. Does that make sense? Our treasure in the field is our bank account. Isn't it? Or it's our house. Or it's our family. Or it's our reputation. Those are the things that we've sold everything else for and we've hidden away. That's the true treasure. And because we're not needy for the things of God. What is uh, Matthew 5, 3? I keep saying this over and over. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Listen, needy people pursue God. 
And the good news is not good news to non-needy people, right? And so we must, my prayer is that today we would see our ultimate need as Christ, as God, as the gospel, and nothing else. That has to start with that picture and that picture alone. Because pursuing God, hear this, it is the most important thing you will do in your life. Pursuing God is the point of your life. Nothing else makes sense outside the context of a Christian pursuing God. And many of you are tired, are anxious, are worn out, are distracted because you're not first seeking first His kingdom, correct? So we must start first with God pursued us. So now we put everything away and we pursue Him. That is the posture of the Christian life. And this pursuit is all about relationship. Pursuit is all about a relationship with God. And what is the basis for relationship? What is it? It's communication. I I can do things all day long for my wife. I can do this, I can do that. If I never talk to my wife, or God forbid, listen to my wife, right? At that point, our relationship is nothing. It's things we might do for each other. You see this in a marriage, right? When, when couples drift apart and they co-parent. They don't talk anymore. They just do things for each other and for the family. They're basically roommates. At that point, there is no relationship. Listen, Christ is pursuing you not for you to just kind of have these duties and things you do for him. He is pursuing you. He loves you. He loves me. He loves us. He desires not a part of you, but all of you. God is speaking to us every single day. Every single day. Relationship involves communication. So hear this. Pursuing God is primarily about us hearing the voice of God and responding. Pursuing God is about hearing and obeying. This is how Jesus lived his life. Hearing from the Father, respond with obedience. Look at John 14, verse 31. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. I do as the Father has commanded me. Jesus' life, even towards the very end, going to the cross, he said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. He was hearing what God called him to do and responded with obedience to the Father. That was the essence of his life. Look how Paul describes in the Philippians chapter 2. He says here, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Talking about Jesus who though he was the form of God, in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. The humility of Christ is overwhelming. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born the likeness of men, the incarnation, correct? And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus lived his life hearing and responding to the voice of his Father, doing his Father's will and nothing else. That was his life 
and his ministry. And we are today disciples of Jesus. And hear this, he has called me and you to do the same. John 10, he says this, verse 25, Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. Verse 26, but you do not believe because you're not among my sheep. Here's the key, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice. My sheep who follow me hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. The sheep hear the voice of their shepherd, and they follow him. That is the essence of the Christian life. That is the thread all throughout Scripture, isn't it? God pursuing a poor in spirit, hearing the voice of God and responding with obedience. That is the posture of every person you see in Scripture. Noah, Moses, Abraham, David, Paul. It simply starts with them being poor in spirit, God pursuing them, then responding with obedience to hear His voice. And we as followers, disciples of Jesus, listen, we can never go and make disciples if we're not first listening to our Father and our Savior and our Lord, correct? He is the one who's going to lead us down paths of righteousness' sake. He has created us for good works, but we must first hear from Him and then go. But many times what we do is we do Christian things to check off a Christian checklist, but we never concern ourselves with listening for the voice of God, right? We just read scripture to get through it. I'm the chief of sinners right here. We come to church just to kind of do it, maybe feel good about something, maybe learn something, but not truly walk in relationship with God and hear from him and respond to his voice. That's a, that's a small, subtle thing, but it's also a huge shift for us. So pursuing God, it starts with hearing his voice and responding with obedience. So, so what does it look like to hear and obey? Like, what is, what is your everyday, you kind of going throughout your weeks, what is it like for you to hear and obey? Let's go to Mark 1. I'll give you time to turn there real quick, because I, I know I'm going fast today. Just got a lot of notes. Mark 1, verse 14. Mark here kind of walks us through the start of Jesus' ministry. John the Baptist... And then uh, his baptism, his temptations, and finally here in verse 14, we start. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, the good news of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled. Underline that word time right there. The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Which means the rule and the reign of God as king was near. It was at hand. And here's the response. As we see God's kingdom at hand, so close we can touch it, our response, what Jesus says, is to repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. Think about time, for example was going in this straight line. Well, was going in this straight line. And then Jesus came. Jesus came and everything changed. 
everything stopped. Galatians 4, verse 4 says this, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as son. When the fullness of time had come. This word time here in, in Mark 1 is this Greek word kairos. So the time that we're used to is called chronos, which is this kind of linear view of time that goes just like this. But this word here in Mark 1, this word kairos, which means this special moment. We see in Galatians 4, it's the fullness of time had come. God's ultimate plan was taking shape in the life and the work of Jesus. The God-man was now here on earth. And his response to enter into his kingdom was to repent and believe. And this is the essence of hearing and obeying. This word repent here um, really means a change of mind. It's this, it's not just, it's this, it's agreeing with God's ways over our ways. It's this complete change in mind and heart to say God's ways are correct, our ways are wrong, and we are turning from our ways. This is the essence of hearing the voice of God. We hear His voice and we turn away from ourselves. We turn away from our own voice, right? That says that we're the king, that our way is supreme. We turn away from the world's voice that says this and that, and we listen fully to God's voice. And we say, and we turn and say, yes, your way is correct. My way is wrong. And this word belief is not just us agreeing mentally. The word belief here means it's this idea of action, that through belief, the way we live our life should change. It's obedience, it's hearing, it's obeying the voice of God. We see here in, in, in Mark 1, it was God and His kingdom, it was literally breaking in, interrupting in a sense the status quo. It, but it, it wasn't a kingdom in the way his followers thought it would be. He wasn't coming as a conquering king, not yet. This is a kingdom that was about being a king over our hearts, about ruling in the hearts of those who follow him. And when we walk in repentance and belief, in hearing and obeying, moment by moment, day by day, we enter his kingdom in a deeper way. Tozer says this, If we cooperate with Him in loving obedience, God will manifest Himself to us. And that manifestation will be the difference between a nominal Christian life and a life radiant with the light of His face. Can I tell you that quote, Tozer's great by the way, um, that quote many times uh, is my heart for myself and for our church. Because wouldn't you say that many times uh, in the West, in Shreveport, Bossier, in your life and my, my life, we would describe our Christian life as nominal. That would be, if just, maybe, I, I, I'm not speaking for God, please don't hear that. If God was to look down, I, I thought he would describe us that way, nominal, Right? What I pray for is radiant, abundant life for myself and for you and for your families. Is radiant, abundant life where His face has shined 
upon us, right? That's what I pray for for us. This is moving, this is moving from knowing about God, which is good and it's right and it's helpful, to truly knowing God, right? Like if, you know, Tracy said, yeah, I know Jason. He's 6'2", 200 pounds. Um, he's, uh, he's born in Shreveport. Uh, he does this. He did that. If she just knew about me, right? Knew facts about me. But she didn't know me. That wouldn't be a relationship. That'd be really sad, actually. And so, um, but many times, that's how we live with God. When we know that well, he did this, he did that, but we don't truly know and walk with God. You notice in Acts, it is so normative People will say they heard from God and responded to His voice. And they do kind of just all kind of really just bold things. They sell their possessions. They go and preach the gospel here. They're killed for His work. All these things. But many times it's just this really miraculous, supernatural thing where people are hearing from God and responding to His voice. That's still a thing. But that didn't stop. God is still active. It says His Word is living and active. We treat His Word as a textbook to learn about. His Word is living and active. His words should jump off the pages into our hearts, minds, and should change the way we live. But many times we have this distance, this relational distance. It's like we're on a second date with God. It's like, I'm not sure if I like this person or not. I'm going to keep my distance right here, right? No, we must pursue, pursue, pursue. Listen, let me keep going. This idea is this daily process of death to yourself as you walk in this. Over and over, you're, you're dying to your voice and saying yes to God's voice. But it's a process. It's a way of living that never ends. You will never graduate from this right here as a disciple. You'll never graduate from repenting and believing, from hearing and obeying. Now listen, um, we're going to walk through this circle, this tool um, that's just a tool. It's a helpful thing to help us understand um, in a practical way how to walk through this. And I'll tell you, for my life and my ministry, it has been extremely helpful. I will tell you, though, um, many times it's easy to make um, a tool like the thing, right? Like, this is how we do this. This is just a tool. But tools are helpful. Like, we, the heart behind this is that you learn, you yourself, you learn how to walk in this and here's the, the crazy thing. So you can share with someone else how to hear from God. The, 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 the normalcy of the Christian life being you learning from one person a week, I pray changes that from this today, there's 20 people in this room that, that begin to literally hear from God themselves and walk in obedience and then go and teach others to do the same, whether it's your spouse, a coworker, a friend, a parent, a sibling, that we take these tools, we learn these things, and start going ourselves and making disciples. So, um, first step here, as we get out of my way, as we think through this idea of, so we see how time was going, correct? And then Jesus broke in this special moment in time. I want to tell you something. Please hear this. God is still at work. Do you believe that? That God is still at work. God is still breaking in. Jesus said, it's better for me to leave so that the helper can come. And I'm telling you, the helper, the Holy Spirit is still at work in the life of those who follow him. 
at those who are attuned to him. So the first thing we must do as we're pursuing God, listening for his voice, is simply observe. We must observe what is God up to? What is God doing? Listen, we quote, uh, it's back here, Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for those who are called according to his purpose, right? All things work together. We, we quote that. I think we believe that. We don't live that way. If you truly believe that as you're driving, God is at work, God is putting that person in front of you going slow for your good, right? <laughs> for your good. When, you're, when your child gets sick, that's awful. That's terrible. But Romans says that is for your good. So part of our role as followers of Jesus, of our King, if we say He is at work in everything, we must have eyes and minds and hearts that are looking for Him, that are pursuing Him. Paul says it says, we must set our mind on things above, correct? Set our mind on things above. Tozer again, you can see God from anywhere if your mind is set to love and obey Him. You can see God from anywhere if your mind is set on Him. So part of, part of our role as disciple makers, to, as we go and make disciples, is this right here. It is to observe how God is at work in your life. And this happens in a whole host of ways. Primary way, of course, is as you're reading Scripture, correct? This morning I was in Matthew 5, and I've been there for weeks reading Matthew 5, and he talks about blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are you when those revile you for my sake. And I will tell you, um, confession to you guys, um, many times uh, I live and my failure is I have a fear of man. Basically, I want you to like me. Let's be honest. I want you to like me. And many times in my sin, in my idolatry of that, I miss out on the blessings of God. And so I'm reading this today. And literally, the Holy Spirit, it wasn't me. Remember, God pursued me. God illuminated things in my life and reminded me that I have freedom because people are going to not like things sometimes that you, when you preach Scripture. It says, blessed are those. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. God was at work as I was reading Scripture this morning. So, listen, God speaks through Scripture. Get back to that in a minute. But also, I will tell you, through the good moments and the bad moments, God is trying to get your attention. Listen, the birth of a child, the death of a loved one, the loss of a job, the blessing of finances— all those things are good and they're, or bad, they're whatever they are. But primarily, God is trying to break through and break in to get your attention. And that is good news because God is pursuing us. But we must wake up and set our mind on things above. I sound mean right now. I'm actually happy. We must set our mind on things above. So we observe. What is God doing? Next reflect. We reflect. And here's a warning. Um, if God goes and tells you to leave your wife, that's not God. 
That's your own sin. Uh, <laughs> when we, when we, ref, we reflect on what we're observing, right, of, of what, how God's trying to speak to us, and we always reflect based upon God's Word. Does God's Word affirm this? Because don't be like Eve, right, where, where Satan says, well, God said this. Well, God means this. We must be discerning and reflect and always go back to God's Word. His Word, God has already spoken, and His Word, remember, is living and active, right? We don't need something. It is, it is fully sufficient for everything a disciple needs. So reflect on that. And then also reflect and move deeper. This is the fun part. Reflect and move deeper. Ask this question right here. It's not fun. Ask why. Ask why. So I'm reading uh, Matthew 5 today, and I see, uh, why is this encouraging me? That blessed are, that rejoice and be glad when people persecute you or revile you. Or I'm not being reviled or anything. I don't want that. I think that. Um, but uh, why is that jumping out at me? And the why, as I kind of did the work, was um, because I want people to like me at the core of that. More than I want to honor God many times. So I reflected, and it, it was painful, right? And so, um, so we, we observe. We observe that God is up to something. We reflect when we start to kind of hone in on what God is saying to us. And then, this is so important, we discuss. We discuss. If we want to see true repentance... After we observe and reflect, if we want to see ourselves truly agree with God and, and not just have a good thought, then we need to invite others into our life to help us walk through this. This is, goes back to that triangle, right, of an integrated life. I, read, I, said, I said last week there's a stat in life where I think we're 60 or 70% of, 70% of Protestants said they believed they could be a disciple by themselves. They didn't need others. They could listen to podcasts. They could read blogs, do this, do that. That's all they needed. That is not true, and that's not biblical at all. What does Scripture say? It says that iron sharpens iron, doesn't it? We're told to confess our sins to one another. It says here that we're to spur one another on to good works. This is the integrated life of the disciple. And this is why, listen, I don't care about missional communities of Covenant Church. Whatever phrase you want to use, community groups, missional communities, small groups, cell groups, Sunday school, all that is window dressing. It really is. It is all about being a family on mission, making disciples. We need an integrated life, doing life with other people for the mission of God to become like Christ. So that's a challenge for us, is that we need people in our life as God speaks to us, as God highlights these things, for them to become crystallized, then to become real, we need someone to discuss these things with. Does that make sense? So we observe, reflect, we discuss, then we plan. We plan. And here's why we plan. Jesus calls this counting the cost. Because I will tell you, when you truly turn, you hear his voice, you agree with him over yourself and move towards belief and action, right? That means you are going to lose something. 
that you are going to carry your cross that day and die for something. And you must plan on how to count the cost with others. Here's what I mean. If God is reminding you as you walk through this that you, um, you need to be in God's word more. You need to read God's word every single day. You need to memorize God's, memorize God's word. That means you're going to lose some sleep. You're going to lose some TV time. You're going to lose this. And you need to walk through what you're, what you're counting the cost to do. How you're actually going to move forward and plan and do this. And as you plan, you desperately need accountability. You need people in your life that are going to hold you to... I see y'all laughing at my writing over there. That's okay. Um, I don't have fear of man anymore. And uh, um, what does Ephesians 4 say? Uh, As we're being built up in Christ, we must speak truth and love to one another. Here's what I need. I need men in my life, and yes, women too, especially my wife. Um, (laughs) You're the most. And um, that we need, when I am believing that my identity, my security, my hope, my joy is found in people approving of me. I need people telling me in my life that is not true. Don't you need that as well? Don't you need spurred on to good works? Don't you need the challenge of being in the Word? Doesn't iron sharpen? Isn't that true? Just living it. Take away Scripture altogether. That's just functionally true, isn't it? If you're in your workplace, things go better when there's accountability. We, as we're trying to be disciples of Jesus, to step further in his kingdom, to be interrupted in our lives, we need others holding us accountable. And last thing, we act. We act. We obey. The man who hears and obeys is building a solid foundation for his house, correct? As we obey, we must obey, we must obey, we must obey. Listen, it's with childlike faith. Our Lord and Savior and Father spoke, and we just say, yes, sir. And as we do that, listen, you're not obeying to be accepted, are you? Please know that. You're not obeying so that God says, I am happy with him. No, he pursued you. He made you alive. We obey because we are accepted. And out of our joyful acceptance in Christ, we obey. We obey. We obey. We obey. And this is what continuous breakthrough can look like in the life of a disciple. It's the core of a disciple maker's life. It's hearing. It's obeying. It's hearing. It's ever. Listen, this everything. We're going to worship gathering. We're going to lift up the name of our Savior and sing and listen to the word and take communion and pray. And those are good and right things. But primarily, they're about moving deeper into Christ, into relationship. And that happens through hearing and obeying. And as God's word is spoken today, God will speak if we are looking and listening for his voice. And as we hear his voice, we respond and we worship through obedience. Dallas Willard says this, Our failure to hear his voice when we want to is due to the fact that we do not in general want to hear it. 
that we want it only when we think we need it. Few people arise in the morning as hungry for God as they are for cornflakes or toast and eggs or coffee. Let's be honest. I'm not a coffee guy, but I'm assuming that's what most people get up for. Um, I'll just tell you, in my heart of hearts, this is simply a pursuit and observation issue. If you're to truly grasp, I mean truly grasp who God is and what He has done, and set your attention on Him, I promise you, God will speak to you over and over and impress upon you things over and over and over and over. Uh, Imagine if this was your life. If God's voice was the primary voice in your life, not social media, not your parents, not your spouse, not yourself saying life is all about you and getting your way. But if God's voice was primary and we learn just the habit of hearing from him and responding with joyful obedience, repenting, agreeing with God and turning and believing in him and acting and obeying. Imagine if that was your day-to-day. If that was your moment-by-moment, what would your life look like? You would be this joyful, spirit-filled, empowered disciple. And you would find how he does work all things. The small, minute things of life will be this great joy. So I love this movie, Tracy's going to laugh, called About Time. And it's like this romantic comedy. Um, This is who I am. Just get over it. And um, this guy can time travel. Don't laugh. Um, It's a whole thing. But but at the end of his life, his father, who could also time travel, said, well, the secret is to um, live your day as normal and then to go back in time to the start of your day and live it again. But to live it in such a way where you are just um, seeing how the small things are all at work and to find joy in the small things. And then in the movie, this guy says, I stopped going back in time and started living my life that way. Like where every day I was just present and he wasn't about how God's at work in his life, obviously. But for us, we have this spirit-filled, spirit-empowered opportunity where every day is not a distraction. All those things, God is trying to break through and grab your attention. And here's the deal. As we learn to hear and obey and repent and believe, what happens is we move further into God and into his kingdom work. And what happens, and I have experienced this and not experienced this and experienced this, but as we begin to walk in this, we look up and our life has changed. I will tell you, your passions, your joys are different. How you're living your life is different because You are moving out of the kingdom of this world. The things of this world begin to pass away. Not fully, of course, but in some ways. And you step further into God's ways and God's kingdom. And that's when you see Matthew 6 come to life. 33. Seek first his kingdom and all these other things. They become the things that in this world are all the things, right? It's the budgets. It's the house. It's the kids. It's the sports. It's all the things. When we seek his kingdom first, it says, all these things shall be added unto you. When you step further into his kingdom, they become lower, lesser things in the right place. But it starts literally with today. Like, I mean, like this moment, starting the practice of hearing and believing, hearing and obeying, hearing and obeying.
Okay, I, I, I got to wrap up here. Sorry. So listen, this competency of pursuing God, uh, of hearing and obeying, it is not learned overnight. We will learn this the rest of our life. But there are a few practices that we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. Uh, the practice of the word. Listen, um, God has already spoken. When God speaks to us, he is driving us back to his word and what he's already said. So we must learn the practice of hearing God through his word, learn the practice of hearing God through prayer, and then learn the practice of hearing God through rest. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to discuss those things and walk through those things. So here's your next steps for this week. This is your risk events, and we're called, they're called risk events for this reason. It's a risk of faith to step out and do these things. You will lose something from walking in these things. First one, every day this week, today, tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, take time and walk through the circle. Take time and walk through this. It's going to feel cheesy, might feel forced, but take time as you're reading Scripture. Maybe you highlight the one thing that jumps out at you and just walk around the circle with that thing. Talk to a friend about it. Next point, as you walk through the circle by yourself, invite someone else in to help you plan and hold you accountable to what God has called you to do. Discuss with somebody what God is doing. It could be your spouse, it could be somebody in your missional community, it could be a sibling, it could be your parent, it could be a friend. It can't be your dog, it has to be a person. Um, no one laughed at that, that kind of hurt. Um, Teach someone, last thing, teach someone in your life the circle and help them identify what God is saying to them. You begin the practice of being a disciple maker. This could be weird, could be awkward. Um, I'd probably do it with somebody you're very close to. Um, but help them, they might have no idea what you're doing. You just ask them, how was your week? Anything jump out at you? What was the hardest part of your week? You think God was trying to talk to you through that? What do you think God's trying to teach you through that? And they say, well, maybe he's trying to teach me that I need to do this or that. Well, why is that? Why is he trying to teach you that? That's reflection. And you're discussing as you do this, right? Well, how do you want to respond to that? You're making a plan with them. Well, how can I help you do that? That's accountability. And then they go and act. Listen, um, you are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. I mean that. You are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. You have great gifts, great abilities. I would encourage you this week to go and use them. And here's next week, I'll ask these three things. And who took a step in one of these this week? I would, I would hope and encourage and challenge that someone next week would raise their hand with a praise of what God has done in their life. Let me pray for us.